right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you're doing okay. Not online. That would be weird. All right. So we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to preach a message this morning and start a series called Leave Your Nets. And so I want to jump right in and read some scripture because I've got a lot to say and a short time to say it if we're going to meet the Meth- beat the Methodist to lunch. Amen? So we <laughs> Anybody Methodist? Grow up Methodist? You always got out on time, didn't you? Didn't you? Always, yeah. See, that's, if, you grew up, if you grew up Pentecostal or charismatic, man, you're like, forget it. Just take a snack. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a late lunch on Sunday. Just deal with it. All right. So uh, I want to read the scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 23. So it's a little bit kind of wordy, but it's important because it kind of sets the stage for what, what I want to talk into over the next several weeks. <clears throat> so um, I'll just start reading it, verse 12 in the New American Standard, and so you can just kind of keep up with me. Uh, It says, now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. That's going to be important, so keep that in mind. And leaving Nazareth, he came and he settled in Capernaum, which was by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Again, important about Galilee being of the Gentiles. Verse 16. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of of the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> goes on, verse 20, immediately, it's a very important word, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So here's an interesting kind of fact around this passage. People who sit in darkness don't generally know they're sitting in darkness. <laughs> right? Like we were talking the other day with a friend and we're talking about how when you experience something for the first time, you know, everything's, everything's weird in God until it's not weird anymore. That's just, that's super philosophic, philosophical, so I'm going to give you a second to kind of absorb that. Everything's weird until it's not weird anymore, right? Like, how many of you guys remember driving a stick, growing up, gri- driving a stick shift? Anybody? A stick shift? Look at all the old people. All of us old people are right. How many, anybody under 21 drive a stick shift? Raise your hand. See, this is how we're going to win. Like, if there's a zombie apocalypse, we're the only ones who are going to be able to drive. So they're going to be super important, right? Because <laughs> all the new cars are going to quit, and the old ones are the only ones that going to be working. So, so, but I remember the first time driving that, it was crazy weird. Like, this makes no sense, and what's the R for? That's reverse, you know, or uh, for you guys who don't know. And so I, I, I remember learning this, and it was, like, just so confusing until it wasn't anymore. And now I get in, I haven't driven a stick shift in years and years and years, but if I get into a car with a stick shift, it just comes back. It's like riding a bicycle, right? Which is like riding a bicycle. <laughs> you just don't typically forget. But the first time that it occurs, it, it, anything like that is super abnormal, it's weird, and you look at it funny until it stops being weird. And so darkness is kind of the same way, right? So if you don't know that you're in darkness, you, you don't know that you're in darkness. You don't know what you don't know. And so we were talking about Helen Keller. So most of you guys remember Helen Keller from history. Phenomenal, amazing woman. She was in darkness. She couldn't see. She couldn't hear, right? So she was born in darkness and had no concept of it. And she was wild, just crazy. They couldn't hardly do anything with her until a teacher came who was able to teach her sign language in her hand. She would do it in her hand until it finally connected with her and she understood. Can you imagine that moment? When communication occurred for the first time in this young woman from someone else to her, it opened her world up. Like, we all, we all just take it for granted. But for her, she was older, and it happened in a way that just revolutionized her life. And I remember reading a story about her, about how the, her teacher was trying to explain to her the color red. So here, think about this for a second. You're trying to explain something to someone who's never seen it before, right, who's, who doesn't understand, there's no concept of color, no concept. So how do you explain the color red? And the way her teacher did it was she said, the color red is like 
hot. <laughs> and she goes, I think I understand that. Now, I don't know that she completely understood it, but it was the best connection she could have. But imagine, and just take for a second, imagine that her eyes were healed, instantly healed, and she opened her eyes and she saw the color red for the first time. Just imagine if that were you and you saw it for the first time. What, what would go on in your head? What, I mean, it would just literally be an explosion, right? So we had a friend who was, um, who was on the spectrum. He, he was a young guy who came into our youth group. This was up when we were doing youth ministry in Atlanta. And he, and he had incredible encounters with God, and they were praying for him to be healed from autism, right? And most people, I know some of you guys, you still live in the box, and you think there's nothing outside the box. Well, hang around here for a little while, and we'll help you understand that that's not true. Amen? Most of us at DCF have experienced outside the box. The supernatural is not against nature, it's just above it, right? And this is what Jesus is doing. Something's happening here that's capturing the attention of everyone around him, right? Jesus is coming into the scene. And think about this for a second. He, I'm, I'm going to get back to my story in a second, but think about He walks up to these young men, right? And they're, they're mending their nets, they're working. They're, one of them, two of them are with their father. They're literally on the job. And he speaks to them, he calls them, the Bible says. It's a very in, in, interesting word. He calls to them. And when he does that, the Bible says immediately they drop their nets and they follow him. Now think about that for a second. That was the, their nets were their livelihood, right? Probably their purpose. They were family because the Bible says there were two brothers and then two brothers and one of them was with their dad. So, so family was involved and they, they walked away from every bit of that to follow this man. What was it about this man that would cause these guys to literally drop their nets, walk off the job and just decide to become religious or decide to follow a rabbi? They weren't religious. They were from a, the poorer class in that area. So most of them didn't even understand the law. Most of them had not read the law since they were at least 13 years old in the synagogue, right? Because they were just busy getting, getting work done. And imagine this man walks up and just says to them, follow me. Now, some of them, we read the stories later, some of them had heard about Jesus, had seen some of the miracles, but there was something about this man that captured their attention, right? And so to, back to my story. Our friend, young man, he was in our youth ministry, and w- it was really challenging at times. It took at least one leader every week to be with him just to help him kind of navigate through the services and the time together. And over the years, we would pray, and we would join their family, and we would pray that God would break through, and healing would begin to occur in his mind, right? And so he goes to this conference. This, we prayed for him, and all these breakthroughs would happen, but they would be small. As Karen was saying, sometimes it would take a while, and they were on a journey. So he's at this conference, and this man, has, he says, hey, there, I feel like there's somebody in the congregation, and, and your mind is going 100 miles an hour. There's something going on with your mind, and God wants to heal that. He wants to calm and quiet your mind. If you would, stand up. There was a bunch of people who stood up. He was one of them. My friend was one of them. He was prayed for, and he, he just started crying, and he had really powerful reaction. His mom and dad were going, what's going on? What's going on? He goes, it, it's, I can't explain it. He goes, all of a sudden, the noise went away. And so he said it, it went from his whole life, all he'd ever known was noise. That's all he'd ever known was just noise. He had to think through noise on a regular basis, right? And then all of a sudden it stopped. And he had to learn how to think again without noise. And so in a similar way, this is what's happening with these guys. Like they had been sitting in darkness, right? Darkness, what was darkness? Jesus comes and the Bible says he was the light of men, right? Something about Jesus was the light was coming on to a world that sat in darkness. This group of people, they're sitting in darkness. It was amazing because the Bible said that he was called to Galilee of the Gentiles. What's interesting about this area, Isaiah prophesied about this area and said the the Messiah, when he comes, when God sends the Messiah, he's going to come into this region. Now think about this for a second. Jesus went to Jerusalem, he, he, he uh, spoke to the high priest, he connected with the, with the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, but never in a good way, right? Like all the elite, all the people you would expect him to come to, he did go to, and none of them received him. As a matter of fact, John talked about, he said, to the people that were supposed to receive them, they didn't receive him. So he went out from there to the people who nobody else wanted to talk to. So he goes into this region, and it's, it's full of all kinds of diverse people from all these different nations. Um, you see Samaria, all, all the Samaritans. You see all these different people who come in, and he ministers to them, and their world is lit up. Some of them knew the law. Some of them didn't knew the, know the law. Some of them were Jewish. Uh, uh, most of them were Jewish. A lot of them were not. But when he would speak to them, when he would do signs and wonders, when miracles would occur, something would happen inside them, and the lights would come on. 
right? And this is what's happening. You see this later on with Peter. When Jesus is standing around, he said, whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you're Isaiah or one of the prophets reborn. And Jesus asked a very specific question. And this specific question, it comes to all of us in one form or fashion. He says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And see, that question matters more than any other question that you're ever going to answer in your entire life. I did a, a, as Karen was mentioning before the service, um, I did a wedding ceremony um, down on the beach. And so the wind was blowing so hard, nobody heard my sermon. I don't think hardly anybody heard my sermon. It was a really good sermon. So I spent a lot lot of time on it, and mostly a, a lot of it was about narrowing it down because it needed to be under 10 minutes, and I'm telling you the truth, it was seven minutes long. I timed it. And if you ever get married and we celebrate your big day, big day, I'll shorten my sermon for you as well. But I preached this whole message, hardly a soul heard it. You know who I meant to hear it? Those two kids standing in front of me. And I don't know that they heard it because they were googly-eyed toward one another. And so that's, it is what it is. But the whole point is, you know, that message for them, we were doing a ceremony. And the whole ceremony in this marriage was one of the most, it is to them, at least in this day, one of the most important days of their life, and rightfully so. But it's not more important than either one of them answering the question, who do you say that I am? Because what they build their marriage on is going to matter. And if they build it on on some religious Jesus or a bunch of rules and regulations or just faith, whatever abstract that means, if they build it on that, then there's a really good chance that they're no better off than what the world builds it on. Build it on good principles, try to do the right thing. There's lots of ways to build a marriage. But Jesus said, I am marriage personified. The whole point of marriage in this world is to paint a picture of Jesus and his bride. Jesus and you and I as the bride of Christ. The whole point of marriage is to point to something bigger, something transcendent, something more than what we experience here and now. And the whole idea behind this encounter with Jesus, everything that God's doing, everything that we did this morning in our worship time together was not to make a pretty service. We hope it's a pretty service, but we don't really care about that. What we want is we want you to have an encounter with the God who made you. If you ever experience that, if you ever experience that for the first time, you will never, ever go back because all of a sudden you were in darkness and the lights came on. And everything about who you are and what God made you for, the strengths, the passions, the personality, the direction, all the attacks that have been against your life, everything begins to make sense. It all begins to line up and you go, aha, oh, it's just a light comes on and you're like, everything begins to make sense. That happened to me when I was about 20 years old. I prayed a prayer. I was in martial arts, in, into Eastern mysticism. I'd done all kinds of crazy things, had seen all kinds of religious um, experiences in the martial arts with Eastern mysticism. I'd seen the supernatural. I had experienced it. I did transcendental meditation. I did astral projection. I left my body and went away from my body and visited places and saw things. And, and I told the friends that I went to see what happened, and they were freaked out and said, don't ever do that again. You're creeping me out. And I remember coming back to my body, and I remember going back to my body and looking at it lying on the bed and the thought happens in my astral projection mind or whatever, what if you can't get in? I never did that again. Never, right? But that was supernatural. But it was supernatural outside of God. It was still, you know, there's a box we call nature and outside of that box, the enemy lives there. The Bible says that, that the devil, is, he was just an angel that fell, right? That, that, that disobeyed God and fell from heaven. And so he is supernatural, right? But God is also supernatural and God is in control and God is the giant killer, right? Everything else is a giant, right? And God is the giant killer. So why is this important? Because there's this encounter with these guys that sat in darkness. The whole region sat in darkness. But what does it look like to sit in darkness? Did Helen Keller do nothing before she had that encounter with her teacher and her eyes figuratively were opened to communication with other people? Did she do nothing? No. She was wild. That's what they said of her. She was wild. Why? She had limited senses of what she could accomplish. Everything was about touch and feel, right? Everything was about those, those senses, and they were hyped, they were hyped up, and, and they, she, she enjoyed them. She put all of her energy into them. And isn't that what we do when we don't know God? 
We live life to the fullest. We do everything that we can to fill our life up. We try to find purpose. We get our, our kids into sports. We get our kids into a, get, a good school. We try to make our kids' life better than ours. There's purpose and there's definition, and we're doing some things. It's just we're doing it all without the light. And so we're, we're feeling around in the dark. And so that's, that's what happens with these guys. Now, here's what's really interesting about the story of Jesus. It is the most exclusive story that has ever occurred in all of history. And by that, I mean it's not like any other religion because Christianity comes along and says, this is Acts 4.12, Jesus said this, or, or this was said about Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved than the name of Christ. He is it. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said that. I didn't say that. Jesus made this exclusive. What about all the, all the other world religions? They're wonderful. They're just not a way to heaven. They're not a way to the Father. They're not a relationship with the God who made you. But can't you experience God that way? You can experience the supernatural that way. And will God work with whatever you have? To an extent. And I know that because I was involved in Eastern mysticism. And I saw things that caused me to think in a higher plane. I stopped understanding that just this world I'm in is natural. There's something supernatural. But I didn't go far enough until the lights came on for me. And so it's the most exclusive. Christianity is the most exclu exclusive religion on the planet. But here's what's really interesting about it. It's also, at the same time, the most inclusive. Jesus said, whoever, whoever comes, whoever believes, anyone who comes, anyone who believes, anyone who puts their faith in me, I will save them. I will rescue them. I will come into your life. He said it this way. If, if, I'll, I'll knock, I'm knocking on the door. He, you actually aren't coming to him. He's been coming to you the whole time. And when you come into that, something powerful happens. When, when you come into relationship with Jesus, this is what he says. I will come and I will sup with you. That's, a, that's a, 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 you know, the old Bible phrase of saying we're going to hang out and get to know one another. We're going to eat together. We're going to spend time. You're going to get to know me and I'm going to get to know you. And there's nothing more amazing the beginning to understand who God is. Because one of the first things that happened to me was I came back like the prodigal son with a mindset of I've broken everything, I've wasted all of God's inheritance, I finally realize who my father is and I come back to him, but my mindset is I come as a slave or a servant. And so in some ways I know God, but I don't know him accurately. And so what he does is he comes and he teaches me. His scripture helps. And then encounters with God. I see it in, in God's people. And he begins to teach me that he, by his very nature, is good. And see, that's a really, really big stinking deal in theology. It's literally the linchpin of all theology. If God is not good, you and I are in big trouble. Right? And see, so when you study the gods of the Greeks and all the other religions, he, he's, he's, he's like us, right? Those gods are like us. The, the Greeks made just bigger gods. You know, they had the same issues. It was literally their soap opera of the day, right? The gods, I mean, Zeus was sleeping with everything that moved, apparently. So he had some challenges as a god, right? So, but why did he do that? Because that's what these men had developed in their own lives, and so they made their gods like him. And God comes along, and this is what he says. I am altogether not like you, but you are like me. There's certain, as there's, there's certain aspects of you. There's a spark in you that everybody has the image of God stamped upon them. Every single person, that's why it's so easy to lead and bring people into a relationship with Christ when you realize no matter what their brokenness is, they're still sons and daughters of God, Right? Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. They're just sitting in darkness. You did too at one point if you're a believer right now. And so there's something about this that, that calls us, it's exclusive. Jesus is the only way. I, I wish he hadn't said that if I'm honest. It causes a lot of problems in my co coffee house conversation, right? So are you saying there's no other way but Christianity? Nope, I'm not saying that at all. Jesus said that. So you're going to have to deal with it, right? I had to deal with it. So I'm, I'm sorry that that's challenging to you. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just saying, you need to deal with it and go study and figure it out and maybe follow Jesus and see what he's like, right? Because some people follow Jesus and didn't want anything to do with him. But these guys had an encounter with God. The whole region was having an encounter with God, and the lights were coming on. Galilee of the Gentiles. So here's what's really interesting. Matthew, there's about 10 instances in Matthew where you see the word fulfilled. Matthew was um, Jewish, and so when he wrote his gospel, he wrote it primarily to the Jewish people to help them understand that the Jewish Messiah had come into the earth, his name was Jesus, and he goes through this whole story. 
many, many times in the book of Matthew, he quotes the Old Testament because he's, he's, at that time, it was the only Bible people had, right? There was no New Testament. So he's quoting the Old Testament in his letters when he's writing, and he, and he, or in this, this uh, gospel account, and he, he says the word fulfilled at least 10 times in the book of Matthew. And the reason why he did it, because he remember it said this, it was, uh, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. In other words, Matthew was saying, the fact that Jesus has come to Galilee of the Gentiles, and the fact that he's come to all these people, and he's bringing the light of the gospel to them, is no accident. Isaiah prophesied this. This was coming. When you see this, this should, this should cause something to happen inside you if you're a Jewish person who understands the prophetic. You're like, this is true. Jesus was born in a certain place, and, and he lived a certain way, and he did certain things. And it turns out that if you were looking for a Messiah, there were so many prophecies, over 300 prophecies, over 300 addresses, if you will, of, what the, of where the Messiah was going to live. I've talked about this before, but there's a fascinating study done by a secular college about the prophecies of Jesus in the Bible about him being the Messiah. There's over 300 of them. And so we're we're just going to take eight. I'm going to put eight prophecies up here. I'm not going to give you all the scripture references. You can go back and look. But there's eight prophecies that when you go and look at these prophecies, now there was over, I forget the, the exact number, but over 30 prophecies that were specifically fulfilled about Jesus that he could not control. Right, so because some people will say, you know, he he probably like he would he would go and get the donkey because you know he read that in, in prophecy, so he was acting out the prophecy, maybe, but there's too many of them that he couldn't control, and all these all these prophecies that you see Jesus this happening with Jesus, there's something powerful about this because every single one of them is an account of this is going to be who he is and what he does, and out of those eight prophecies, just for eight prophecies to come true in one single person, just eight. Not counting, there was over 300, but eight of them coming through. The odds for that happening are astronomical. They're literally, what was it, 10 to the, it's up here, 10 to the 17th power. Look at all those zeros. Those are the odds of just eight prophecies coming true in one man, right? So why is that so powerful? Think of the state of Texas. Take a silver dollar, put an X on it, throw it into the middle of the state of Texas with silver dollars three feet deep, mix it all up, blindfold a man, send him anywhere in Texas, and he leans down and picks up that coin, and the first coin he picks up is the one with the X on it. Those are the same odds. And that's just eight when there's over 30 specifically that he could not control and over 300 in total. So why is that important? God is trying to encounter you and say, hey, would you open your eyes and see what I'm doing? Would you begin to believe that maybe there's something to this that you did not realize before? That there's a light. He's trying to bring a light into the world, and the light has got to come on. So let me just give you another prophecy, because this is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. This is found in Ezekiel, and it's about the destruction of a city called Tyre. Tyre is, you hear Jesus mention Tyre and, uh, and Sidon, or Tyre and Sidon. These are, Sidon was just a little bit north of Tyre. Tyre had an old city that was on the coast of the Mediterranean, and there was an island about a half a mile off the coast that was called New Tyre. Okay, And so this, this prophecy, Tyre was a, a, it was a Phoenician city, um, it, it had an incredible uh, navy, there was uh, commerce that came and went, they sold slaves through there, they, they basically were one of the biggest ports in the entire uh, in Mediterranean area. They were wealthy, they had everything that they, need of, they had need of, they could get it, and if they couldn't get it, they could get it, <laughs> right? And so this city made God angry. One place in Joel, it talks about that they had sold slaves. Some of the Jewish children had been sold into slavery to the Greeks. And so God was angry with Tyre, and he said, I'm going to bring destruction through the prophet Ezekiel. So I'm going to read you this prophecy. It says, um, this is Ezekiel 26. It says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, Tyre. Remember I said, if God's not good, we're in trouble. Well, if God's angry with you, you are in trouble. This is what he says. And I will bring many nations against you. Like the sea casting up its waves, they will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down the towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. That's hardcore destruction right there. He goes on, he says, Out in the sea she will become a place to spread fishnets, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. She will become plunder for the nations, and her settlements on the mainland will be ravaged by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So here's part of the challenge is, you know, people sat in darkness, they're going to do dark things. That's just the way it works. And if you've been around for a little while, you know that, not just about the world, but you know that about yourself. 
You did things, and you're like, I never thought I would do something like that. And in the secret place of your heart, there's shame. And rightfully so, because you've broken something. I mean, the Bible said of Corinth, the Corinthian church, he said, you guys are doing something even the world doesn't do. Like, that's bad that people in the church were doing stuff the world was ashamed of, right? But all of us have done something that we're ashamed of. And, and, and rightfully so, we know that there's judgment to come because we've broken law that maybe we don't know the law of God. Maybe we don't know the Ten Commandments. But there's something intrinsic in us that we do know the difference between right and wrong. We do. And anybody who says they don't is about to do you wrong. Okay? So we know it. And that's what happened with this group of people. They'd angered God. They'd broken the laws. They were doing horrible things. And God says, because of that, judgment is coming against you. So this is the prophecy, right? So in 586 B.C., Ezekiel prophesied this, and that Nebuchadnezzar would come from Babylon. He was conquered most of Mesopotamia. And he came from Babylon, and he laid siege to this city, old Tyre. He laid siege to it for 13 years and, and basically utterly destroyed it. And everybody moved to the island, and the island was fortified. They said of the island that it had walls 150 feet tall. It had ports inside the island. I'm going to show you a picture of it. That's, that's what's coming up next. There was, there was ports. There was all kinds of stuff going on. This is just off. It's about a half a mile off the coast. So he comes, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and for, for 13 years he lays siege to it. They finally reach a, an agreement, and he backs off. And part of the prophecy was fulfilled in the sense that he laid waste to the old city of Tyre. But the new city of Tyre was out on the island. So prophecy, everybody said for years, they said the prophecy's not true because, look, God didn't, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. 250 years later, Tyre's now generations later. They're still in the same boat. They're worse off than they were before in terms of their decadence and what they've been doing. Alexander the Great is busy conquering the known world. He comes down the Mediterranean coast. He conquers all these different cities. Some of them he didn't even have to conquer. He just came towards them, and they said, we give up, and gave him everything. He gets down to Tyre. He gets to the city of Tyre, and he says, I want to sacrifice to the god, of, to the god Hercules because he said he was a descendant of Hercules, right, the Greek god. So he comes. He sends people ahead. They say, we, hey, we'd love to do that, but, you know, you can, you can sacrifice in the old city of Tyre. There's a, still a temple ruins there. You can come sacrifice there, but we're not going to let you on the island. But he really wanted to go on the island because the main place to sacrifice was there. So he sends messengers again. And he says, listen, I, I, really want, I promise I'm not going to do anything wrong. <laughs> They're probably pretty nervous for good reason. And he says, I, I really want to come and sacrifice. And they said, no, we're not going to allow you to do it. And then they killed his messengers and threw him off the city wall into the ocean. Can you imagine what that did to Alexander the Great? He was pretty ticked, right? It's a modern version of it. So he begins to decide, he decides, I'm going to take this city. So he comes to the edge of this Mediterranean coast. It's a half a mile. And he's like, how am I going to get there? I don't have a navy. His navy was busy in other parts of the world. He says, I don't have a navy. So he decides he's going to build a causeway from the Mediterranean coastline out to that island, half a mile long. So in places it was 20 feet deep, other places a little more shallow. And he took all of the lumber, the timber, and the rock, and everything off of the old city of Tyre. And he had thousands, tens of thousands of laborers. He went and got people from every city nearby, brought them into servitude, and they carried dirt and rocks and timber and anything they could find and put it into the ocean and built a causeway to this island 300 yards wide so that they could build, you know, siege ramps and, and towers and they pushed him out there. Long story short, he ends up getting out there. He's, his navy comes and attacks and his navy is captured from all the other nations, which is exactly what it said it was going to do. Many nations would come against her, right? Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was, was one nation, so they said the prophecy wasn't true. And then 250 years later, Alexander the Great comes and he brings many nations. Then he comes and he tears down the walls. He breaks into the city. He, he breaks open the city. He goes in and he kills something like um, three, 4,000 people right away. He takes 30,000 of the people. There were 40,000 people on the island. He takes 2,000 of the, of the, um, the military-aged men and he crucifies them on the beach. 2,000 people dead right away. He goes into the city. 30,000 people he takes and he sells them as slavery. He was brutal. And you know what he did when he finished that? He went into the temple and he made his sacrifice. Now, I don't like Alexander the Great th that much, but I'm pretty excited about his ambition and his single-eye focus, right? Jesus talked about that. He was going to make a sacrifice, and he did. But here's the thing. When he finished, 
The dust was scraped off of old tire. It had been used in the causeway. It said later on that she would be used for the spreading of nets. Nowadays, that's what happened all the way up to, I've got a picture. This is from 1934. The sediment had gathered around the causeway now over the years. You can go Google it right now. This is new tire. This is the city. He, he raised it to the ground. It, the causeway, that's where they spread the nets. And if you see that sandbar that goes to the right and it begins to go south, old tire was about probably about, uh, I don't know, two, three miles down this way. And the other part of this prophecy, it says she'd be, a spreading, be there for spreading of the nets. Um, Nebuchadnezzar would plunder the city. The stones, timber, and the soil of the city would be cast into the midst of the sea. And then the last thing he said was, Tyre would never again be rebuilt. Now again, this was prophesied by Ezekiel. 500 and something, um, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and starts the prophecy. 250 years later, Alexander the Great comes in and finishes most of the prophecy. The one thing that was left of this prophecy was this. Tyre would never be rebuilt. Old Tyre would never be rebuilt. So when, I don't have a picture of this, but just south of where you're looking at on this map right now is where Old Tyre was. And in that exact spot right now is a wetland preserved. And there's an agreement with all the nations in the Mediterranean that they will never build on that spot ever. It's in perpetuity. I'm a, thank you, perpetuity. My, my lawyer friend's helping me. Forever, basically. It's never going to be built. Nothing's going to be built. Now, let me ask you a question. You think Nebuchadnezzar, who was not a Christian, just saying, you think he was like, you know what, I think I'm going to go fulfill one of God's prophecies. <laughs> you think Alexander the Great, who was definitely not a Christian, right, said, I'm going to go fulfill one of the prophecies of God, right? Do you think this organization that is now preserving the wetlands, do you think that they said, you know what, I've been reading the Bible lately, and uh, just to make sure this prophecy is fulfilled, let's create a wetland preserve, get all the nations to agree to it so it's never built on again. You think that's what happened? And yet, it happened. Now, why is that important? Here's what I'm really getting at with this. There's a purpose to the fulfillment passages that Matthew talked about. There's a purpose to what Matthew was talking about. A light is going to come. He's coming to the Gentiles. These things are going to happen. This is who the Messiah was. All these prophecies were leading to something. They were leading to the culmination of the ages. That what was about to happen in Jerusalem, we celebrate this in Christ, in, on Christmas, that when Jesus came, the, literally time is split. You know, Before Jesus, before Christ, and after Christ, literally time was split when this baby was born into the earth. And then 33 years later or thereabouts, he dies on a cross. And his birth was supernatural. He, she was a virgin. We go through all that when we talk about, about um, the, the passages during Christmas time. But it's not just about Christmas. It's about this was the fulfillment of the ages. Jesus was born at a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain context. Why? Because this is what God said, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. And one of the things he said was, I'm going to bring light to the Gentiles. And he said he's going to do that through you and me. I'm going to bring light. So the purpose of the fulfillment passage is to assure that you can see divine providence, that God has ordered your life even if you don't know he has. He's ordered the lives of the nations. He's ordered the lives of our country. He's ordered all of these things, and many of them are prophetic. They fit in the prophetic timeline. They don't disagree. But also it's to show that everything is a part of a larger purpose and plan. See, you have a story. I have a story. And because we know one another, our stories crossed. Our stories met, and now we have a story together, which is awesome, right? God had a story. God starts with the story. The Bible says before the beginning of time, in heaven, somewhere out there in the supernatural realm, we don't completely understand it. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a meeting, and everybody was there. I'm just throwing that last part in to make sure you understand the Trinity. <laughs> and they have a meeting, and they, what they want to do is they let us make man in our image, right? So they decide, and you see that in the book of Genesis, we're going to create people. Why? Because God wasn't lonely. He had He was living literally in perfect community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he wanted someone to receive his love and give love back to him. So he makes humanity, right? The Bible talks about he makes angels first, but angels are not like you and I. The Bible says that these things, talking about the gospel, that angels long to look into them. Why? Because we can be redeemed, they cannot. 
And see, there's a song, you, you, the song of the redeemed, right? There's a beautiful song that's called literally the song of the redeemed. But the song of the redeemed is a prophetic word to you and I, that, you, that those who sat in darkness would see a great light. That the song of the redeemed is, I was lost, I was sold into the slavery of sin, I was broken, I was without purpose. Even if I was doing well, it didn't matter, I was without purpose. And at some point I'm going to die, and what do I think is going to happen? Every single one of us know we're going to live forever. That's why nobody really plans for their funeral, right? I get that all the time when I'm doing funerals. I'm like, you guys obviously did not see this coming, and I don't understand that because 10 out of 10 people die, right? Statistically, it's a pretty solid, good chance that you are going to die. And if I know you, more than likely, I'll do your funeral. Would you just do me a favor and let me say good things about you instead of the bad? Let me, let me have something good to say in my sermon about you, right? <laughs> don't, don't make me go, um, grace is awesome, right? Don't make me preach that sermon at your funeral. I don't want to do that. But here's why that's so powerful. That every single one of us have now come in, if you haven't done this yet, that you are being introduced to the light. And the Bible says that 2,000 years ago, Jesus went and he called some disciples, gathered them around, and he asked them to follow him. Remember what he said? He said, come and follow me. And the Bible says immediately they dropped their nets. So it was something about Jesus that said, whatever I was doing in my life before does not matter nearly as much as knowing this guy. And they left everything, they left their nets, and they went and they followed after Jesus. And they begin to see things. That's what the Bible says. He, he goes on and he preaches. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm betting you don't know what the word repent means. Because most people don't. They think repent means to feel sorry, to cry a lot. And that there is an aspect of repent that means that. But the word in Greek is metanoia. And it literally means to think a new way. To let your mind be transformed. But you have to participate in that. That's why when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They, they, they said a lot of things, and they were super encouraging and jumped right into the conversation. And the moment he said, but who do you say that I am? He got personal. And everybody shut up but Peter. And Peter shared, you're, you're the Lamb of God. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, flesh and blood, the natural box that you're in, did not tell you that. Something came alive inside of you. There's a, we talk about our spirit, our, our, our soul, and our physical body, right? And we know that we're, we're a tripart being just like God is a trinity. There's a tripart being in us. And everybody, even when you sin in darkness, your body is alive and your soul is alive. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. All of that works. What doesn't work is your spirit. The Bible says that we were dead in our sins. But we weren't dead, right? We're living. We're, we, we have a life. And that's the same thing that the enemy told the, the original couple, right, who were living without sin. And he said, you know what? God is keeping things from you. This is what he was basically saying. You thought God was good, but he's not. He's been hiding things from you. And if you go after it yourself, if you use your own strength, if you use your own ability, you will discover things that God's been trying to hide from you the whole time. How I many of you guys know that just wasn't true? The Bible says this is what happened. The Bible says when they ate of the fruit, right, their eyes were open. They were in darkness in a good way. Now think about that juxtaposition. Before there was no sin, there was none of that. The only thing they knew was good because they knew God. The Bible said he would come and he would walk with them in the cool of the day. And then the Bible says when their eyes were open, they knew right from wrong. Now you and I, we talked about this. Knowing right from wrong is a good thing, right? Nope. Nope. There's one thing that's better than knowing right from wrong, and that's never having known wrong at all in the first place. We don't get that option. We lost that through the fall, and men, men mankind, have been living in darkness for all this time, creating amazing nations, incredible discoveries. All of those things marked. We're marked by the image of God, the creativity, the abilities. All those things happen, right? But we're in darkness. Our body is alive, our soul is alive, but our spirit is dead in its sins. We've broken the commandments of God, we've broken God's law, we've taken for ourselves God's for ourselves, and we have alienated the one true and the living God, and we pushed him away, and we said, we don't want anything to do with you, right? Jesus comes along, if you live long enough, you know this is true, that when Jesus comes along and he connects with you, and he says, hey Dave, I want to talk to you about your sin. And I'm like, all I, all I can think is, man, here, come, here it comes. Here comes judgment. Here comes the, 
you know, I'm going to hell. I know I'm going to hell. I've done things that deserve it. I know it. And he says, no, 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 that's not what I talked about. I want to talk to you about the fact that your sins have been forgiven. I'm like, hold up, what? Because <laughs> that's not the normal religious message, right? You've got to work out your own salvation. Now, the Bible says that, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not talking about the way you're saved. It's talking about living it out. It's a whole other sermon. But here's the point. In all other religions, every other religion, every other religion, there's a way for you to try to work your sin out, but you never can. You can never do it. Even in the Old Testament, the law, the law showed you that you were a sinner, but the law could never save you. It's what Paul talked about. Jesus talked about it. The law can never save you. All it can ever do is shine a light on the fact that you are in darkness. And you know what happens? Shame and fear, condemnation, guilt, every horrible thing comes from that. Even if you're trying to do good, you find you're doing good for nefarious purposes. You become selfish in your goodness. That's what you do. And Jesus comes along and he shines a light and he says, hey, listen, you were lost. You were broken. You were separated far from me. But because of what I did on the cross, think about this. I did that on the cross so that all of the sin, the brokenness, all of the death, the fact that you were dead in your sin, all of that could be pushed away because he paid for it all. And he pushed it away. And now, hear this, there is nothing now in the way of you being in a relationship with Jesus. So he comes to us and he calls to us and he says, hey, Will you follow me? And something inside of us sees this man, sees who he is, but both fully God and fully man at the same time. I have this sense that something transcendent has, has occurred. It's awakening. Something inside me is awakening. There's something drawing me. I can't figure it out, but I'm being called. And I, I don't know him, but I want to know him, right? And my prayer was, Lord, I've tried everything else, and I had for the most part, but I've never tried you, and I want to try you. And that's a horrible sinner's prayer, Right? It's terrible. I wish I had a better story for my testimony. I don't. It's horrible. But it was honest and it was authentic. And God heard it. And God said, I've been, the whole time you thought you were coming to me, I've been coming to you. Because I want you. And I love you. And I want to be with you. And so because of that, all the stuff that you think is in the way is no longer in the way. I paid for that. That's Finished, complete. It's not in the way anymore. All of the sin that you ever sinned or ever would sin, it's been done away with. Now, will you come to me? And here's the thing. You can't come to him with your sin because it, it's, it's in the way, right? It's darkness. It's, it's, uh, it's, an, it's the antithesis of who he is. It's evil, and he's good. And so he says, you have to lay that down. How do I do that? I repent. I take on a new mind. I say, Lord, thank you that you paid for my sin. And that was the only thing that was in the way. I, I'm sorry. I look at it, I reckon I am sorry. But more importantly, I think differently now. That because that's out of the way, are you, are you saying to me now that I can actually have a real, live relationship with you? He's like, I've been saying this for 2,000, actually longer than that, but 2,000 years. And, and all you have to do is come. All you have to do is lay down all your other gods and come to me. And this is what he says. When you do... Though your sins were as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. As far as the east is from the west is is where I've taken your sin and I've thrown it out of the way. There is nothing that's in the way of you coming to me now. But you can't come on your own terms. So let me just wrap it up with this. Karen was sharing this before about, you know, you're you're trying so hard. I mean, you know, I've been dealing with an ear infection. And so I prayed, and if I'm not careful, this is what happens. I come in my old thinking, right? My mind's not been transformed about God. I come in my old thinking, and I say things like, God, if you were good, you would heal my ear. Wow, what an arrogant accusation that is for a mere mortal to make to a God. If you were good, right? First of all, he is, right? And, and the other thing is, I think he's withholding every good thing from me. But the Bible says he doesn't do that. But here's the thing to remember. We are not the only ones on the stage, and neither is God. It's not just us and God. There is an enemy of our souls. There's a whole world that is steeped in darkness. There's the world clamoring for attention. It's, it's, ask, it's trying to, to, to grab hold of my affections and draw me back into all the things that I know were terrible, and I know they're terrible, but I still want to do them anyway for some reason. That thing that, it, that, that draws me back into it is not because that old nature is still there. I've been given a new one. It's because it's attractive to me because that's the pattern I knew. And the Bible says, isn't it interesting that dogs 
want to go back and eat their vomit. That's a horrible passage in the Bible. And I remember thinking, why would God put that in there? And then I recognize what happens with me wanting to go back into my sin sometimes. And I go, I get it. <laughs> it's actually pretty descriptive, actually, right? So, so what do you do with that? How do you answer that? And the answer is in your relationship with God. Jesus said, come walk with me. Learn of me. That's what disciple literally means is learner, right? And rabbi means teacher. <laughs> and so you have a teacher and a learner. And if you will assume the position, if you will, right, and say, Lord, I'm, I want to learn of you. So when things don't happen the way I think they ought to, I have a couple of choices. One, I can fill in the gap with something from my old way of thinking, what people have said about God, or I can go back and say, God, who are you and what are you like and how do I need to change to become more like you, right? And so the journey, what begins to happen is this journey begins to occur where when he says, come and and follow me, I drop my nets, whatever that promise was that I sense, he wants to fulfill in you and I. And there's a lot I don't know about healing, a lot I don't know about. I've I've seen demons cast out of people. I've cast demons out of people. I I have a book written by a Ph.D. called um, The the Demonic, uh, what is it, Uh, yeah, Counseling in the Demonic about, you know, the juxtaposition of the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, and how that connects to the spirit. And there's so much I don't know. But the things I do know are these. I know he's good. I know he loves me. And he wants me. He's not mad at me anymore. The Bible says that everything that he was angry with me about was my sin. He's, Jesus paid that price. And that price, is no, that, that price has been paid. It's not even in the picture anymore. And my relationship with him is now ongoing. And I can come to him and I can say, Lord, teach me. Show me. As I read scripture, as I hang around with other believers who are farther along in the walk than I am, I learn and I grow. And what I begin to see is I become more and more like him because I face my attention and I look at him. The Bible says we are changed from glory to glory, not from brokenness to glory. That happened at at salvation. But from glory, God's goodness keeps getting better and better and better. But there's something that has to happen. You have to make a decision about what you're going to do with who Jesus says he is. And I crossed that line 30-something years ago. And I remember it was a really challenging line. A lot of intellectual stuff I had to work out about, is this believable? The, the prophecies that for, were fulfilled were u- hugely helpful for me in coming to understand that, God, this really occurred. This was not an accident. Jesus was a real person. You know, there's lots of crap out there, and then there's the truth, right? And I, th- I, there was an intellectual journey. But, but on, an, on an October night <laughs> in the German Alps, standing, I was, we were actually having a conference in a hotel that was once the SS barracks for Hitler. I can't make this stuff up, right? I, I have an encounter with Jesus, and I pray a prayer, and I say, Lord, I've tried everything else. I may as well give you a shot. And something happened to me, and my eyes were opened, and they've been opening more ever since. I walked out onto the patio, looked out over the mountains, and for the first time in my life, 20 years old, not a lot of life, but enough, the mountains, the majestic mountain peaks with the snow caps and the, and the trees, all their limbs were pointing up, seemed like praising God. Everything was pointing to God. And it was almost like, how in the world, for 20 years, were you so blinded that you missed creation was calling out to me? But I had. And now I see it everywhere I go. I see it in people. I see it in a newborn baby. I, I see God everywhere I look because I'm looking for him. My light has come on and my eyes have been opened. So I want to challenge you this morning. What are you going to do with your nets? Your nets represent livelihood. They represent purpose, family even. Nothing wrong necessarily with nets. It's just where do they lie in the importance factor of God and your nets. And I want to challenge you to really follow Jesus. Listen to what he's trying to say to you. Acknowledge him. Say, God, talk to me. Speak into my life. And when you do that, my experience is every time I've done that, with an open heart and a willingness to hear, his voice comes, and I find myself walking in the direction. Sometimes I don't see it till I'm in it, and I look backwards and go, wow, look at the direction you brought me into. It didn't make sense when I was in it, but it makes perfect sense now. So I just want to challenge you. I, I don't need you to necessarily pray a prayer. You can do that if you want. If you are at the place where you're like, you know what, I've been thinking about that, and I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. That's wonderful. But more importantly, I think most of us, He's calling us to to the journey. He's calling us to walk with him. 
And so get rid of your guilt and your shame and your condemnation and all the stuff because Jesus paid the price for that. And come to him with an open heart saying, God, you love me so much that you want me to spend time with you and learn of you. And every inheritance that you have ever had from me because of what Jesus did on the cross is now available to me. Part of that inheritance is winning many sons to glory. What God has done in you, he wants you to speak that truth and that gospel into other people's lives so he can do it in them. Amen? Won't you stand with me? Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you for fulfilling prophecy. Lord, showing us that you are at work in this world. Um, Lord, we see in the prophecy about Tyre, Lord, literally hundreds of years, um, generation after generation, Lord, was involved in the fulfilling of that prophecy. And Lord, because our minds are so small, Lord, if we're living in that moment, we can miss what you're doing. We can say, God, look, you haven't fulfilled what you promised, Lord, because you're not finished fulfilling what you promised. And Lord, you are the God of multiple generations, not just mine. We are so selfish in thinking about just me and my generation. But Lord, you are about generations after generations because you are about all of humanity as your bride. And so Jesus calls us to draw near to you because you have already drawn near to us. And as we do that, Lord, you called us to freedom, Lord. Help us to call others into freedom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are so thankful that you are with us today and as you're watching online. If there's anything in this message today that resonated with you and you would like to have prayer, we'd love to be a part of that with you and come alongside you. If you're watching online, you can contact us on our website, dothancf.com, and just for prayer. If you're in-house, we'd love to invite our ministry team to come up to the front, and we'd love to um, pray for you if you would like that. I love how the Bible in who Jesus is declares that he was the only way to the Father. It was exclusive. I love how Dave explained that. It is based on exclusive ways to get to the Father because there was such a high price paid for you to be restored to a heavenly Father. But then in that, it was completely inclusive that whosoever will can come. And so we just thank you for today for being with us. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray for you. So have a great week. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. And um, yeah, so have a great week, guys.